Hey guys, what's up and welcome back to another episode of On The Go With Gauri, a podcast where I, your host, talk about anything and everything on my mind. On today's episode, I have Marlon Martinez. Hello. Hi Gauri, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, oh yeah, of course, of course. Um, you were one of the coolest people in high school in orchestra. I know like, I mean, I'll speak for the cellos. I was a cello player for anyone who didn't know, but... I still am but whenever we would have coaching sessions and then you would come um, coach the basses and sometimes you would take the cellos too oh my gosh we were always looking forward to those times right where you'd be like um, Mr. Jung would be like all right Marlon you can take the cellos too and (laughs) score but you were such a cool you are such a cool person in general but like um, like the epitome of music and jazz and I felt like I had to have you on the pod and talk about music with you and just sort of like all the stuff that you've been doing and share that with everybody. Thanks so much. Uh, And I I feel sorry that I I never got the chance really to invite all the cellos every time. I thought that would have been really fun. Uh, But uh, yeah, yeah, I I was really uh, inspired by your um, compositions, your musical ability, uh, your desire to, you know, speak for yourself uh, through speak your your what what's what you're thinking and feeling through your art you know I really yeah uh, I'm really proud to you know honored really to be on your show so oh, yeah thank you so much thank you so much yeah um so I know I told you this a few days ago but to those who are listening um Mr. like Mr. Jung and you were on the like judging panel for my first audition for Soka um, five years ago, I think, when I was a freshman auditioning for our Soka performance. I had no idea what the Soka performance was at the time. I was just told that it was sort of like a talent show of sorts. And so I was like, I was told to audition with this piece I had written in, I think, eighth grade or late of that year or something. And they're like, hey, just audition and see what happens. Most, you sometimes freshmen don't really get in, but you might as well try. And I was like, all right, let's just go for it. I was super nervous. This was the first time I was like, actually auditioning for something kind of like real deal sort of um aside from you know piano cm exams and stuff so i was like all right let's see and this is the first time i've also been auditioning with my own piece so i was like putting myself out there and i was like okay this is scary but let's just do it i know how i was like shaking and then i went and performed and then mr jung asked um what's the biggest crowd you've performed for? And I was like, 100 people. <laughs> and then he's like, all right, well, that's great. But you do realize that Soka, the audience, is near 1,000. And I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be an interesting experience. And I was surprised, I was pleasantly surprised to see um, my name on that list a week later. And it was start of something new. It, it definitely, like reaffirmed my passion for composing and sort of like validated you know like oh i'm on the right path i'm i'm sort of doing it kind of right and gave me some confidence to keep experimenting and writing music and stuff i'm so glad that you went through that that's that's really crucial (laughs) that's it yeah yeah it's always those like one these experiences sort of like contribute to some spark or some turn in your passion and then all of a sudden you know you actually have confidence to keep going right and i did and then i was like competing for um the reflections pta reflection stuff and like random stuff but i feel like that moment gave me a lot of confidence right there right so thank you for that thank you for being on the channel there (laughs) i approved i I know that for sure (laughs) thank you so um really quickly can you tell us a little bit about you yeah um so uh marla martinez i uh was uh, born in Los Angeles, uh, raised in a couple of different places, uh, 
Los Angeles, uh, the UK, um, and um, Southern Orange County, and uh, which is okay. where obviously I went to Elisa Miguel High School. Um, wow, when was that? I don't even remember. I think it was <laughs> 2006, I think, right? So, Whoa. yeah, yeah. So, I, my graduation class was in 2009. Um, okay. After that, I, I went to study classical music. I, I wanted to be um, a, a symphonic bassist. I'm a bass player, and uh, but as I as I studied classical music, I grew more deep and interested in jazz music, which is uh, kind of what brought me to the bass in the first place. So, and uh, and in turn, um, I found myself uh, to be a composer of jazz music as well kind of coinciding with that so um i am um i've i've done freelance work contracted work um symphonic gigs um jazz things i'm the uh the leader of uh, marlonius jazz orchestra which is a 17 piece uh big band here in la um we play all the major los angeles venues jazz venues um and um I'm currently uh, gearing up for an artist residency at my alma mater, uh, the Colburn Conservatory of Music, which is also in Los Angeles. Um, and there, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, later, right? So, too, I have some questions on it. Yeah, yet. so I'm going to be um, an artist for their new Amplify series, which uh, raises, uh, celebrates uh, people of color and um, fantastic music that needs to be uh, celebrated even more so. So um, that's kind of the current project. Yeah. Wow. Lovely. Great. Um, also, before we dive deep into these questions, I wanted to play a quick game. This is something I've been wanting to do onto the podcast for a while, and I felt like this was a good time to do it. But we're going to do a speed round. I'm going to put the timer on for a minute, ask as many questions as we can get through. Okay. And, uh, we'll see how <laughs> a little we can nervous get. here. All right. <laughs> They're pretty easy, I think. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. All, All right. right. Ready? Yep. Get set. Go. How many hours do you play a day? Ooh, that varies now <laughs> because I compose. Okay. I study music. <laughs> I am doing lectures. Um, in college, I used to do five to eight hours a day. Uh, as a working professional, sometimes that will look like 30 minutes to an hour on average. <laughs> okay. Okay. Favorite venue you've ever performed at? Oh, wow. Okay. Can it be one or two? <laughs> <laughs> two, go okay, for it. two. Uh, let's see. Uh, Walt Disney Concert Hall, uh, definitely. And um, ooh, what is that place? Oh, it's called. Oh, it's in Sonoma. Oh, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, the Greenfield Music Center, I think. Uh, it's an all wood concert hall. Something, something okay. in that name. <laughs> Got it. Least favorite venue you've ever performed at? <laughs> okay. Least favorite. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to pause the timer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I okay. I used to play at uh, <laughs> I used to play a hotel gig in New York City um, from uh-huh. uh, 2019 all the way up to COVID. Uh, it was at the Park Hyatt. Uh, maybe I shouldn't okay. have said the name, but sorry Park Hyatt, <laughs> but your your room is terrible. So there you go. Okay. We're going to go through a few more of these even though the timer went out, but I feel like these are fun. <laughs> um, one venue you wish to perform at at least once in your lifetime. Uh, yeah, once in my lifetime. Okay. Um, oh boy, that's tricky. <laughs> there are too many. <laughs> um, um, the Hollywood Bowl. 
Okay. Oh, that's cool. Okay. By the way, did you know that her is performing with、um, the LA Phil, I think?、No. In, in August 14th. Nikki was telling me about it, and tickets are super cheap. Wow.、So、August 14th. I, I wanted to go to that. Wow.、Yeah. I think something like that, yeah. Yeah. Okay.、Uh, coolest person you've ever collabed with? Collaborated. Okay.、Mm-hmm. Coolest person. There are a lot of cool people that I've that have collaborated with.、Uh, I'm going to start with Stuart Copeland. He is the drummer、okay. and founder of The Police. So you've heard of. I know you told、yeah. me this when I was in school, and I was like, mind blown. I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Yeah, you guys have heard、But、of、yeah. Roxanne. What's it, you know,、um, gosh, what are all those great songs, you know?、Um, uh-huh. Yeah, working with Stuart Copeland,、uh, I'm a member of his quintet called Off the Score. It's a semi classical rock fusion band.、Uh, so, working with him is、uh, probably, you know, probably some of the coolest stuff I've done there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Three qualities that you think make a great musician? Three qualities open mindedness is number、mm-hmm. one for me. Um, which could also be flexibility, I think. Um, okay. Um, an understanding of the capacities on their instrument. So oh, okay. And,、um, and also,、um, I would say, ultimately, being able to freely express themselves. You know, which is unfiltered, it's unhindered by their instrument.、Oh, okay. Those are the three things. Oh. Yeah. Wow, okay, I like it.、Um, what instruments can you play? I play double bass,、uh, most of all.、Uh, I also play electric bass, I play a little bit of drums.、Um, barely play piano, but I compose on the piano. I see, okay.、Um, and let's see. Yeah, I think those are, those are the ones. Okay. Um, best piece of advice any musician has given to you? Yeah, this one <laughs> is kind of a reoccurring theme,、uh, and I've heard、mm-hmm. it in so many different ways. So it's lots of paraphrasing, a paraphrase of a paraphrase. Basically, do you. And don't、okay. let, it's do you, and don't let anybody else take that away from you. Oh,、it's、okay, I like it. Ultimate thing. Um, a few more. What's your favorite genre to, of music to listen to? Now, I could say jazz, but that doesn't mean、mm-hmm. really anything to me. Okay. Jazz, that's, that's such an umbrella term. You know, I would say、uh, my favorite. <laughs> I could tell you what I like right now. What I like,、sure. what I like right now is the music of、uh, the big band music of Duke Ellington Orchestra. And、uh, Billy Strayhorn's compositions、uh-huh. for the Duke Ellington Orchestra. That's my favorite right now. Cool. Um, favorite song on the radio? I'm not sure if you listen to the radio. I don't listen、much. to the radio very much.、Uh, I don't know what's the, like, the, the thing right now.、Um, mm-hmm. I've heard something recently. You know, there's some things, I don't, I don't know the titles, but there's some things that, that Drake does that I really like.、Um, Oh, cool. And what's that? Who, who did that song、oh, where it's like、uh, Your Best Sunday or something like that? It's oh, Sunday Best. Sunday Best. That's, Surfaces. That song that's a, is so that's good. That's a great song. I think I can say, I could probably say I do listen to radio because I, I know that、okay. song and I,、yeah. I really love that one. So there you go. Yeah, it's really good. I like it too.、Um, we'll do two more.、Uh, okay, this is a fun one.、Um, 
What is your go-to singing in the shower song? Go-to, wow. <laughs> Whatever I'm studying at the moment. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, I'm going to go back, actually, on the previous question. Uh, <laughs> I love to whistle Meow Meow Mix, but in whole tone. So if you try that, it's like, what is the, what? <laughs> it's just the funniest thing okay, in my mind like, to conceive that. So I always, I always, I do actually do that a lot. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh, interesting. Okay. Last one I have here is if you, if there could only be one instrument on this planet, which one would it be and why? You mean for me, like a preference or yes, prescribing yeah, yeah. to so the whole world? Say there was only one instrument, maybe for like everybody, there could only be one instrument on this planet. Which one would it be and why? Well, that's a fantastic question. You know, there's this instrument, I, I don't know the exact name. It's called the glass harmonica, I think. The, 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 I, Ooh, there's okay. a European name for that. And um, the thing I like about that instrument, from a technical standpoint, is that there are different types. There are different tunings, you know. So therefore, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if we had one, I think that's probably one of yeah. the most angelic sounds I think I've ever heard. And um, it's performed in different ways. One way is to put water on your fingers and and it's kind of like uh -huh. imagine glass um you know cups right or like wine okay. glasses if you imagine a bunch of those of all different sizes and different depths and uh, then uh -huh. you can use you use your fingers with water and oh. make a circular motion you can actually yeah you can actually create yeah. different overtones each one has a pitch but each one also comes with a yeah. whole array of overtones and people write pieces with that. I think that's such a calming, therapeutic, uh, really spiritual instrument. Yeah. Uh, I would have to go with that one, except unfortunately you can break glass, so I don't know, <laughs> but I would do that. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. I like that. That's really interesting. I think I've seen a video of it, like maybe on YouTube or on Instagram, but I think it's really beautiful to listen to. I've only, maybe I need to listen to more about it. Probably I'll go down a YouTube rabbit hole of right. that today after the call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Okay. I'm ready for the questions Perfect. now. I think I'm ready too. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go back in time a little bit um my first question is what inspired you to get into music and start playing i can go back to one of the earliest experiences that i i tend to talk about um i think i was about seven or eight years old we had just moved back from um, england i was living uh, uh not too far from london about two hours out and um my parents are in the music business uh, my mother's a professional uh, singer. Um, my father is a, he wears many hats. He's a professional, was a professional uh, record producer, songwriter. Um, he builds recording studios. So he had, both of them had a lot of business in London, but eventually um, they wanted to come out here back to California um, to, in pursuit of work and uh, a different education system for me and my sisters. So they brought a lot of their recordings with them 
from England to California. I remember uh, one particular Christmas time. It was we we celebrate Christmas and we were having Christmas uh, week, and I remember uh, hearing um, two recordings that struck me the first time. Was um, um, there was there's an orchestra called I don't know if they're still around. I think they're called the Berlin Symphony. So it's not the Berlin Philharmonic. It's a different orchestra. Okay. They recorded, it's, it's from like the 90s, early 90s. They recorded uh, the complete Nutcracker Ballet by Tchaikovsky. Oh, um, okay. And I heard this, my parents would play it like every day, all the time while they're cooking and things like that. And I just remember hearing the this rumbling, oozing resonance in the orchestra. The pizzicatos, the plucking and the bowing yeah. and... Um, if it had like a thump to it but it also had this all-encompassing sustain you know and uh, I was yeah. very curious about what that instrument was what that sound was where it was coming from and then there was another album um, there's a famous singer his name is uh, Harry Connick Jr. Uh, do you know who he is? No, I haven't heard of him. No. He's on. He was on like Will and Grace. He, his big break was with uh, when Harry met Sally. He did the music for that. Oh, he sang oh, okay. and okay. played piano. He was on American Idol. He just put out a bra- uh-huh. off Broadway thing. And so he's a he's a singer. He's a crooner, you know, and kind of like the Frank Sinatra ish style, you know. So he put out uh, uh, his first big like <laughs> like high, one of his highest selling albums i think the highest selling album of his was his first christmas album and he had a big band oh, wow. a jazz swing big band on it and okay. there was a bass player oops i gave it away oops i shouldn't have said bass <laughs> but i think you guys can kind of understand where i'm getting at yeah. there was a sound <laughs> uh-huh, and uh-huh. and and the thud and the drive was dancey it was bendy and the notes were changing a lot and it was kind of like this undercurrent just basically driving the band you know and there was drums, oh, of course, yeah. you know, jazz yeah, drums yeah, yeah. and stuff, but nothing struck me more than the sound of that instrument. So my parents, I said, what is this? Like, you know, I'm hearing it in the Tchaikovsky, I'm hearing it in the Harry Connick Jr. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that? And so my parents would tell me, oh, that's the uh, upright bass, that's the double bass. There's different names for my instrument. And so, oh, the string bass, yeah, yeah. And so um, I was drawing a lot at the time, so I asked to see a photo of the instrument. And my parents had uh, a great book uh, produced in England called Eyewitness, and they, they're kind of like an encyclopedia with photos, yeah. right? And yeah. they have yeah. they had one that was about like the world, and, and um, one chapter is about this, the violin family. And so they okay. showed me the book, they showed me the violin family, these beautiful pictures of the, like all the instruments in the orchestra, but we zoned in mm-hmm. on the string section. They said they pointed at the instrument. Said that's what that's what you're listening to. That instrument, the bass. And so, I got so obsessed hearing that sound. And um, yeah, but I was so young. I was like seven or eight, you know. And I was just yeah. drawing pictures. You were able to like identify the same sound in both those pieces. Yeah. Even if they're so they're different, different right? genre. in their own ways. Yeah. Yeah, but you were still able to identify that same, you know, commonality in those two, which is means it was like true it's genuine from such a young age that you were able to identify it and yeah. fall in love with yeah yeah and uh i was so obsessed with it that um my parents brought home a, a two things they brought home they surprised me one day with a, a, an actual bass which i was way too small to play it so i yeah. had to stand on the bed and like try to hold the instrument i could only play like one string 
much. And yeah. Um, yeah, my dad had a friend who owned a music shop in LA, so he brought home a bass. And um, uh -huh. they showed me a VHS of um, the Herbie Hancock trio. Herbie Hancock's an iconic, you know, award-winning jazz pianist. And he had this trio in the 80s. And the bass player on that is a guy named Ron Carter. And, um, and I'll, okay. we'll get to him probably later. It's kind of a foreshadowing, strange how life is, you know. But I saw, yeah. I saw the, the impression was this, this tall, handsome guy in a suit and tie. And he was playing the same instrument. And, and, uh, but he was driving this trio and the camera kept showing his fingers. And I and never forget uh -huh. seeing this clip of him like kind of tuning silently to himself during the performance. He was like just checking to make sure oh, the intonation okay. was right, you know, yeah. before he started laying down this killer bass line. So those were impressions mm -hmm. that stuck with me, you know? And um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I later wanted to find out if I could play that instrument. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Very cool. This is a cool story. Nice. Yeah. Um, my next, so going from there, now you have your passion, now you know you're interested in it. Um, what made you want to become a musician? Um, were there, like later on, now that was when you were younger, but now maybe in high school or um, maybe in college. Maybe by the time you yeah. were in college, you already knew. But Yeah, yeah. I already knew I wanted to do music. Um, um, I think freshman year of high school uh there okay. there was a turning point um uh there's a bass shop in um now it's in san clemente it used to be in san juan capistrano it's it's called lemur music and they're a bass shop uh, i remember mr jung actually handed out pamphlets he said hey there's gonna be yeah. this bass clinic um you're a bass player you're interested in music why don't you go and check it out so i said okay so i went uh, my dad took me and there was a bass player named Brian Bromberg. He's an LA-based musician, professional recording artist. And um, I saw this guy playing the bass. It was the prettiest bass I've ever seen. It was this small, it was small. It was like a tiny, dark brown, and almost like black bass. And it looked very old, like it had gone through like all the world, world wars and everything. Okay. And um, he was playing this outdoor concert. And, he was playing the instrument like it was a violin, like it was a guitar. He could just go and play anything and do whatever he wanted to do. Harmonics, <laughs> strumming, all this stuff. And his bass was just like singing. And uh, it had this thing we bass players call, call a growl. And the it had this growl, like he would sustain a note and the sound wave would go like like that. It had kind of yeah. a, almost an elasticity to it. Okay. I was like, what is that? That is incredible, you know? And so mm -hmm. uh, that stuck with me. Now, some months later, and I think this was the real kicker, I think, was um, um, my dad said, you need to go and see a guy named Stanley Clark. And he's a touring musician, and he's actually playing in Long Beach. He said, so I'm going to, you know, after school, we're going to go. Uh, I bought, bought tickets. We're going to go see Stanley Clark. You, need, you, you seem to like the bass a lot. So you need to go check out this guy because yeah. I was told that he is, uh, you know, revolutionary. He kind of revolutionized double bass playing and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know what that means, you know? Yeah. So we went to this, we went to like, it was like the Long Beach Performing Arts Center. It's a big old amphitheater. Here he comes. Now, Stanley is this tall guy. He used to wear a huge afro in the 70s, but mm -hmm. his hair is a little shorter. And um, he came out... Um, 
dressed like a, a rock and roll biker or something like that. It was crazy. And he looked cool. he looked okay. he looked tough, you know. And he had this electric. Yeah. He had this. He's so tall that his basses looked like toys. He had this little ele- electric <laughs> bass, and yeah. uh, and his band had like uh, two keyboard players, I think, uh, a violinist and. Um, drummer with like you know the biggest set of drums I ever seen at that point as a kid you know and they were rocking out and it was loud it was electrifying I didn't understand it at the time because I wasn't into that music I was by then I was listening to uh, older jazz from like the 30s 40s and 50s so I wasn't even interested but it was like wow there's this bass player grooving but he's at the front of the stage he's playing all the melodies he's not playing the accompaniment he's the one that the the whole band is playing around him and i was like where's the bass the one that i love when is that going to show up and Mm. i was getting disappointed until he made an announcement on stage he said um uh i'm i'm looking for we're going to change this set a little bit uh i'm looking for a bigger bass in the audience which uh, by the way was already they were sold to like whatever he was doing he was such a showman said uh, uh he asked his roadie to come out and he brought he actually brought out a double bass and i was like oh so excited because i thought he was gonna do like some walking bass lines or you know not at all he started doing he sat down just solo bass the lights kind of went low he went into this whole like thing where it was like the bass to him turned into like a flamenco spanish guitar he started strumming on it playing like super fast notes he, he he has really long fingers and his three fingers he was just like like doing all this yeah. crazy oh my stuff gosh. Yeah. and he Mesmerizing. clearly i knew he was making it up but i was like what is he doing and he started drumming the bass oh that's yeah the so wood cool. yeah. the fingerboard like the peg box and like he, all these overtones you know were like ringing in the pa and it was like i was like mm-hmm. what is that yeah. I had no idea whether I liked it or not, but it was interesting, uh-huh. you know? And the crowd was just yeah. like head over heels in love with what he was doing. And they were just dying to hear him do more. But of course, they're on wow. tour. So they're like, oh, that's it. Thank you, you know? Yeah. So my dad <laughs> took me backstage. Stanley knew my parents from the 1980s. And so oh, cool. okay. he found out. He said, oh, uh, so you're the, their son. Oh, and, you know, and. My dad said, could you tell my son something to help him remember, uh, you know, to encourage him as he wants to become a musician? I said, I want to be a bass player like you, you know. Mm -hmm. And all he said to me was just practice, practice, practice. He said, and then if you think you got it, practice again. As a kid, I was just like, that's not advice. Like, come on. Like, no, that's stupid. I was kind of like, well, that was weird. You know. Yeah, like, oh, come on, you couldn't yeah. tell me anything else. You yeah. told me to practice? Okay. But then, a year later, it was like, I think six months later or something, uh, mm-hmm. we have the this thing called the NAM show in Anaheim. Have you heard of okay. it? Okay. Uh, I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a big convention in Anaheim next to Disneyland where it's like all the music merchandise companies get together, like from right, all over yeah. the world. Well, here comes Stanley Clark walking down the aisle with his son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. and uh, my mom goes up to him and says, hey, like, Stanley, come over here. She's kind of waving, and he recognizes yeah. my mother, and uh, my mother sang on a couple of his records. So he says, oh, Josie, wow, so how are you? And he says, oh, look, it's it's uh, Marlon, oh, you know. And my mom says, go and ask him. So I go up to Stanley and said, hey, Stanley, um, I would like to 
take lessons from you. I want to learn how to play jazz bass. Could you do that? Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, I thought he would be like, no, sorry, I don't do that. I'm not a teacher. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, said, yeah. absolutely, sure. Okay, well, come on over. Let I'll give you all the information you need. <laughs> so, yeah. and, Whoa, and I okay. fast forward, you know, because it's a long story. By the time I played in front of him and we started jamming together, you know, I, I mm-hmm. was doing something that he really liked. And he, okay. he thought it was that good, you know, that he went over to his table and he had this elaborate table with all these different bass guitars, like not just like electric, but he had like acoustic guitars that were like four string, Ooh, okay. you know, he pulled out one and he sit down, sat down and he started, we started playing the blues. Okay. He was just improvising, just incredible lines. And I was just walking a bass line for him, you know, and he was teaching me yeah. things. And I think at that point, when he said you knew. yeah when he yeah. said uh so the next lesson bring this like as if we even talked about another lesson you know right i was just like okay uh i definitely want to do what he's doing you know so that's yeah. kind of yeah. the story of that <laughs> that is so cool that is so cool and i i love how when, when you were telling me the story your eyes had sparked i mean at that moment you knew exactly like this is what you want to do you fell in love right away which is awesome yeah it is hard as an artist to find out what is the one the singular defining moment because honestly there aren't yeah but i would say that was i think a formative experience that wasn't just moving it was it, it was elevating it transported me to like what my possibilities can be as a as a professional musician you know so yeah very cool awesome answer um now we're moving on speaking about teaching um we're gonna be moving on to the teaching segment of the episode in your opinion what's the difference between teaching students music and then performing it yourself um and before you answer that i'll butt in here and answer i'll give my answer i guess yeah sure um so recently, like a few years ago, I started teaching piano, but especially in the quarantine, I took it very seriously and I've sort of been, you know, keeping myself occupied doing that. And at first it was kind of tricky because it's not like everyone picks up music the same way that you do. Right now, if I were to go learn something, I would just sort of, maybe if I'm just listening to something and I know exactly where do my hands go on the piano, where do I, you know, oh, there's a chord like this, oh, it, th- this is the rhythm. It just sort of comes naturally to me. like. I'm absorbing it just makes sense but how do you explain all of that to somebody who has no idea about music at all or who's just tapping their toes into the pool like this ocean so what how's it been like for you yeah I think the difference I think the main difference um, between teaching it and performing it is experience you know Um, and I'm talking about all age groups of students because I currently teach all ages I have adult students Mm -hmm. I have young students. I have a 10-year-old beginner on double bass as well as high school students that I teach regularly during the year, you know, and the one thing is experience. You get a lot of bass players, I'm speaking specifically about bass, but this can apply to your instrument as well. You get a lot of bass players in the professional world that may or may not have had formal, you know, traditional, as I call classical training or schooling or private lessons or whatever. You know, yeah. but but even in the professional world, he or she can actually still express what they want to say on the instrument. So it, okay. it makes it 
regardless of their virtuosity or technique or whatever, you're still gonna get that. But I think what you don't get per se with students, and, and this could be a demographic of students, but it's just the experience part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so, and my job is to, obviously, they can't have this wealth of experience that, that let's say you or I have, you know, in terms of how many years we've been playing and what kind of situations yeah. we've been doing it. Yeah, but yeah. the main thing, I guess, is how do you boil down all of that experience that's ours and life and like years behind us to how do we give that to a student that sure. is probably just trying to learn, okay, where do you find the notes? You know, it's, yeah, it becomes yeah, a yeah. miniature. It's almost a crash course really yeah. of performing music. so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like the main thing that I think the main difference. Hmm, okay. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Different. That's a great question. I think that's a very difficult question. Um, yeah. With, I think so many answers could come from that, you know, but I think that's the For main sure. one that, that in my experience that I've seen. My next question is, after high school, um, where did you go and what did you do to further your education in music and to further your music career? So, um, I got accepted into the Colburn Conservatory of Music, and it's the uh, college division of the Colburn School, which is an old school that used to be a part of USC. They became an independent school. And then um, the Colburn Conservatory, by the time I auditioned, was still relatively new. And, okay. But it's kind of like the leading um, classical um, conservatory on the West Coast. Uh, you wow. have all these other great schools, um, of course, you know, but Colburn is sort of like the equivalent to Curtis Institute in Philly or uh-huh, in, uh-huh. in some ways vaguely like a Juilliard. Uh, okay, you know. okay. When I was in high school, people were calling it the Juilliard of the West. I'd rather say it's more like the Curtis Institute of the West, you know. Okay. Just a little more okay. chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went there for six years. I thought I was going to get out in four years, but I decided to stay for my master's. So I got my bachelor's awesome. and my master's at the same school. Okay. And uh, by the time I was in my master's, I was I wanted to further my career as, as a technician of the instrument. I had fallen in love with the orchestral repertoire that I said, I want to be a symphonic bass player. I want to play in a, in a symphony orchestra and get a salary job. That was like one of the priorities, you know? So okay. around that time, I took several auditions. Some of those would be local. Some of those would be like, I would fly to a different state and do an audition, you know, a one or two day ordeal, you know, and, yeah. uh, and yeah. in hopes of competing for a chair in a symphony, um, okay. which the digits on those jobs are fantastic you know I mean (laughs) so and you you would know this and uh we're yeah we're talking kind of the same language here so it's like that was something I really wanted to do uh including uh I did get on the sub list the substitute list for San Diego Symphony so I I I did some gigs for San Diego for a time um but right when I uh started my master's there was an interruption Stanley Clark called me and I was in a Baroque class, a Baroque history uh-huh. class. And okay. he said, Marlon, I need you to pick up the phone. Uh, just leaving you a message. Uh, I have an offer. I don't think you would want to refuse. Uh, just call me. Okay. We'll talk about it. And I was like, well, this is a first, you know, I've known him since I yeah. was 
uh, I think, 14 or 15. So this is when, while you were still in your graduate? Yeah, this was like, I had okay. just started my master's. Okay, okay. Um, you know, and, and I'm leaving out a huge chunk of this, but I was very much contemplating whether or not to continue being a classical musician or not. Um, oh, interesting. Because okay. of a lot of things, uh, jazz musicians devote themselves to this art form you know, and mm-hmm. improvisation and, and basically following the footsteps of our, our masters, you know. So yeah. I was feeling very conflicted because uh, I was already leading my own bands outside of school. I was already kind of dipping out uh, after hours, booking my own jazz gigs, you know, okay. learning from jazz players uh, outside of the conservatory and boom, 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 you know, not sleeping right. at night, showing up late to yeah. classes, you know. Yeah. I was like, okay. And then I'm getting pressure from my, my parents and other people in my life who are saying, no, 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 you need a salary job. And the best chance you got is to stay in school and focus on mm-hmm. orchestra. I was like, but I want to go to Juilliard for jazz. Okay. I want to go to New York for jazz. I want to go somewhere else, you know? And I'm like, oh. Well, when I got into Colbert for masters, I said, you know what? Something in my heart was like, you just stay put for a while, you know? So okay. I did. So fast forward, I was in the first year, I think, of my master's, and all of a sudden I get this mm-hmm. phone call. I call him back. He said, my friend, good buddy of mine, we've known each other since we were teens, his name is Stuart Copeland. He just fired a bass player. He was trying someone out for his new band. He says, I don't know what it's called. It's, he said, it's this fusion band. And in okay. music terms, fusion for us means, you know, you're just blending genres. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, it's a fusion band. He said, it sounds like a classical rock thing. You need to call him. When I when it dawned on me who he was talking about, uh-huh. I thought about all those police records and everything that I've heard yeah. in the department stores or on the radio. It's just like, wait a yeah. minute, really? So I called. Stuart called me uh, back, and he he gave me a rundown list of things he was looking for in a bass player. He said, okay, a bass player who has the orchestral chops. Who can therefore read anything okay on point three someone who can improvise four okay. someone who's okay with loud amplifiers and mm-hmm. and and he said in all styles and then he said and uh, i hear that you're the guy for the job and then okay. there was a okay. pause <laughs> over the phone <laughs> and i'm just yeah. sitting there like heavy breathing you know and i'm just like yeah. all i said was yes i am <laughs> When do we start? Okay, okay. And he said, this was like a Friday or Thursday or something when he called. He says, "Uh, can you come Tuesday? Uh I'm like, "Uh, oh, oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, what do do I need to prepare? He says, nothing. Just come. Just show up. He says, I hear. Sounds like a movie. Yeah, he's like, I hear. Literally from a movie. Yeah, he says, I hear you you go to Colburn. He says, yeah, that's nearby. That's that's, that's great. I'm glad that you're uh, in the area. Local. Uh I could tell he was really keen on that, being local, you know. So I was like, okay. okay. I was like, well, there goes all the idea of going to Juilliard or some other school, you know, because sure. they yeah, like yeah, that yeah. that local kind of musician, right? So right, yeah. You know, so I I, I played for him and uh, they loved they loved me and everything. So it became uh, a tour. There's a classical pianist. I don't know if you know who he is. His name is John Kimura Parker. Okay. He teaches. I don't know yeah, he teaches at Rice University in Texas, and he's a concert pianist. Okay. Um, okay, I see. Him and Stewart put together this group so it was a quintet five people we started touring and I had to get permission from my classical bass teacher to leave school Uh because I didn't even I was just starting my masters you know and like I knew I was gonna end up 
like having to make up classes, maybe yeah, do yeah, an extended yeah. year, maybe not graduate, you know, and uh-huh. I wanted the touring life, you know, right. where I'm improvising. Yeah, and you have this amazing opportunity at hand. Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? It, yeah. And, you know, now it's Stuart, but it could be someone else lesser known. What do you do? Mm-hmm. You know, what does the world tell us? They say, no, 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 you need to stay in school, get the degree, get a job like us, yeah. you know? Yeah. Or you could potentially throw it all out the window. I said, oh, you know, if I have to throw it out the window, I will, because I already got my bachelor's, so I'm just gonna go for it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. I did I did uh, two tours and a couple other side shows for Stuart over, um, uh, oh man, from 2015 to 2017 or so, or 2018. Mm-hmm. I had done this work with this band called Off The Score. And so we were in different okay. states. We were in Indiana. Ooh. Right, you said you're you're oh, in Indiana, nice. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we played. Indiana. Yeah, we played Indiana uh, University uh, back in nice. 2015, okay. I think. You know, so it was fun. And from that came another touring opportunity. Uh, this was directly linked to Colburn. Um, okay, uh, there's I a, see. a French string quartet named uh, Quator Eben. We call them um, the Eben Quartet. Mm-hmm. They're world famous, world renowned. They they're, they're highly acclaimed. Um, they just put out an epic uh, Beethoven, like the complete Beethoven string quartets, like all of them, you know, oh, all wow, around okay. the world. They went to third world countries. They went to the uh-huh. ritziest countries. Okay. They're like the first to do that. And so okay, well, cool. back then they had just put out a jazz crossover thing, which is mm-hmm. fascinating because I was on the verge of going into jazz fully but I wanted to keep playing classical music and I didn't know how right, to do so this that. this is kind of like that perfect in-between. That was, I think, the message, you know? It was like, oh, you could do both at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. so they wanted me to be their jazz bass player, you know? So we would play their own arrangements of jazz classics and then some newer compositions. And we were touring around Europe uh, for two summers, you know? So that was cool too, you know? Uh, those I'd say both of those gigs. Oh, and there's a third big one that was even more local. Um, uh, a piano player named Mike Garson came to Colburn to teach uh, a little bit, and um, he was teaching jazz. Well, I found out that not only was he good friends with Stanley and played with Stuart Copeland, but he's also huh. David Bowie's piano player. Uh, Whoa, all the way okay. up to from like Aladdin Sane, uh, all the way up to Bowie's death. And so, okay. and Bowie was still alive at the time that I met Mike too, which is interesting. And Mike liked what I was doing. He said, okay, so let's, I need a young bass player. And, you know, he's like, I, I need you. So I need to show yeah. you some things, you know? And so he kind of mentored me, you know? And that was fun. I'd say those three things, I always kind of go back to those three things. Obviously a lot more things happened after those, but mm-hmm. those kind of really kicked me out into the yeah. working world. Yeah. More deliberately. Wow. You know. That's such a good point though, like, you know, that you made before. Whether you go when you have an opportunity like this, do you tour or do you like kind of seize the opportunity or do you stick with the school and do you go through and I'm sure that was kind of like a tricky decision at the time. Yeah. But obviously I mean it worked out all for the best. How did that affect your graduate though? Did you end up uh, extending the program or Well um, were you able to actually finish it in two years? I actually finished it on time. Uh, oh wow even with all the tours okay well we thought we were going to tour more uh, but uh-huh. it wasn't in the economy it wasn't in the the actual um, you know, um, 
maybe I shouldn't say it, but I think it's public now. It's online, you know. So our our the band leaders of Off the Score, you know, uh, went to a different agency, different agencies for their oh, uh, solo projects, and we weren't getting enough okay, work okay. with where we were before. As a youngster like me, I was the youngest in the band, and I was. Mm-hmm. My hopes was that we were going to be doing this on a weekly basis, all the time, yeah. monthly basis. No, no, not at sure. all. Sure. You know. Okay. Uh, okay. We are scheduled to do more after COVID next year, which is fantastic. But prior to that, there was a bit of a dry. Uh, there was a drought. You know, I see, in my I see. touring okay. career. So yeah. But it's cool that it's still. It's cool that it's still connected. It's still a, a group still together. You know, and then yeah. you're still gonna do it after COVID too. We've been talking about it for some years now, so I think we're gonna be really uh, excited to get back up again. Yeah. You know? Sometimes after that break too, once you get back, the music is gonna be ten times better than even before. I hope. So it's awesome. Yeah, my hope is that with off the score, uh, it'll influence the five of us to want to push for more opportunity given yeah. that the group we have is fantastic, you know, and yeah, it's just, it's hard to crack into that scene, especially if you're a fusion group playing classical music. We play The Rite of Spring by Igor Stravinsky, but oh. with Stuart Copeland's like rock, like punk backbeats and violin okay, gotta improv. Okay, got to this. This is too cool. I think okay. I need to show you some videos. We were pretty, yeah. we're pretty bizarre um, and it was fantastic, but you know, a lot of groups like us have a hard time in the beginning. You know, who's yeah, our audience yeah. going to be? You know, except for right. Stuart Copeland fans and John Kimura yeah. Parker, uh, classical, like, aficionados. Like, mm-hmm. who is it going to be? That's not yeah, enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, I have a question about that a yeah. little later on, but um, we'll, we'll touch back on that. Sure. About who your audience is going to be. Yeah. Speaking about Colborn, though, um, you were speaking about, uh, you are talking about being an artist in residence. So can you explain what that is and what you will be doing? An artist residence is uh, any particular event where an institution hires um, a working artist, performing, teaching artist, whatever, uh, to come and give like a clinic or a group of okay. clinics. So in my particular circumstance, um, I have uh, an artist residency at Colburn School where I get to work with all the departments of Colburn. They have uh, the pre-college, the college division. Um, in all of that, you have dance, uh, jazz program, adult studies, uh, and then the conservatory, which is all classical. Um, it's uh, a few weeks of work. Uh, we're gonna start producing videos next week, and then um, way later in March next year, I'm gonna do like the first like on-campus artist residency uh, with the students and faculty at Colburn. They asked me to do, uh, so okay, so during over a five-year period, um, I've been obsessed with the life and music of Billy Strayhorn. Okay. Now, (laughs) most people today won't know who Billy Strayhorn is. Okay. Did you happen to see The Heights, In The Heights? I did. Do you, oh, the Heights? Yeah, that no, movie that came out. Uh, well, actually, it maybe just came out yesterday. I think I just saw Open Night and didn't realize it. You know, the person oh, no, who made, um, I'm digressing, but the person who did Hamilton. Yes, yeah. He put out a new film um, called In the Heights. It's about Washington okay. Heights. So maybe I won't say, I won't give you any spoilers. It's fantastic. Uh, my wife and I saw it yesterday. There was one little segment. There was a song uh-huh. in the beginning. Uh-huh. They quoted... Um, take the A train, which okay. is the quickest way to get to Harlem. Okay. 
in New York City. Um, it's an express train that was made in the uh, early 19, uh, the late 1930s in New York City, and um, one of the world's most popular jazz artists, Duke Ellington, um, back in the late 30s, early 40s, was needing new music for his uh, his band book. And he hired this young prodigy kid from P- Pittsburgh who was virtually unknown outside of Pittsburgh okay. named Billy Strayhorn. And he he was like, you know, 23 years old, 24 years old. And he wrote this song they called Take the A Train. That song became like one of the, well, it became Duke Ellington's theme song uh, forever. It's one okay. of the most covered jazz standards of all history. Um, and Billy and Strayhorn was the one who wrote it? He was it the one who wrote it, and he was also the one okay. who did not receive, almost, I guess, no royalties, no credit, Whoa. no money wow, for okay. that song. That was Duke's okay. song. Billy wrote it for him, didn't get the credit that was due to him. Um, and it's, a, it's kind of a tragic and beautiful story about this young man who faced a lot of discrimination because he was black, he was gay, and he was open about it at a time where that was an absolute no. Uh, In the 1930s, 40s, 50s, you know, even up to the 60s, life was very hard for a person like Billy Strayhorn, even living in New York City, which is very much cosmopolitan, you know. Um, So I got really interested in his music, and um, and I started finding information. Music that no one has really been performing for like 30 years, you know? After he passed away, his life story was obscured. It was almost like not completely erased, you know? But like... Yeah, but it kind of died down like... Yeah, Duke Ellington's career and his legacy was like... He's like our um, Michael Jordan. He's like our... um, you know, in sports, he was, he's, yeah. he's like, you know, as big as Obama, you know what I mean? Okay. Like for, okay. for black music, black American music, you know, and he, he was basically a watershed, opened the doors for so many uh, musicians and creators. So of course, okay. Duke Ellington has the, the, all eyes are on him, right? After he passed sure. away, but Billy Strayhorn was kind of like an afterthought. And so five years ago, I started getting into that story. I started hearing things that I liked as a kid. Um, and in high school that I had no idea was actually Billy Strayhorn's compositions. It just had the name Duke Ellington or composed by Duke Ellington or co-composed by Duke Ellington, you know, stuff like that. So someone at Colburn, uh, he's a donor or not a donor. He, uh, uh, well, he's, he, I think he's on, I don't know his position, but he works in the finance area. He said, Oh, I know, um, Billy Strayhorn's niece. Uh, you should talk to her, you know, because she just did something uh, in 2015, you know, for his uh, centennial. He would have been 100, you know, at that time. Yeah. And he died of cancer at 51. So he died in oh, the I 60s. See. And it was okay, just like, whoa. Okay. So I emailed her. I told her about my story, sent her my album. Long story short, it ended up in like a five-year journey where I started finding music and resources about his life that no one ever taught me you know and no one had ever taught my jazz friends and it's basically like only insiders kind of know about the, a lot of the truth behind billy strayhorn and what he did so okay. colburn i started having conversations with colburn um over the years oh you know mm-hmm. I, I would love to come and talk about billy strayhorn i'd love to play yeah. some of billy strayhorn's uh lesser known works i want to resurrect some of billy strayhorn's music blah blah okay. blah you know 
there wasn't a particular place for me until COVID happened, and I had I see. almost okay. no money. All my jobs were gone, mm-hmm. just obliterated. And yeah, there was a competition that Colburn was offering to alumni. Of course, I was like,、oh, I'm signing up. Yeah, I don't care if、yeah. it's two dollars, I'll get two dollars. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a thousand dollar prize that was given to me for、um, a two minute. Like <laughs> it was the fastest speaking I've ever done. I had to do it in a two-minute time span. I basically、yeah. said, "I have a business venture. I'm going to do lectures and performances on Billy Strayhorn, and、okay. um, you know, using this prize, I will be able to secure music、um, that is difficult to get."、Mm-hmm. Great. So Colburn, they reached out to me and said, "Well, congrats, but we also have another offer for you." Uh, this has nothing to do、oh, with、wow. the thing. I was like, "What is it?" You know. They said yeah, we yeah. just started the Amplify series, raising the voices of、um, BIPOC artists. You know, and、uh, we have a, a wonderful lineup. We've been listening to your story for some、uh-huh. years now. They said、okay. we'd love to have you come and teach, and and so they gave me an artist residency contract. And so it's not a day. It's like not a day job, and it's not like a monthly thing. But you know, it's.、Uh, I think it's one of my strongest.、Um, I'm, I think I'm most proud of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's coming up real soon. That's awesome, and that's so exciting too. Wow! And look how that turned out, right? You were just applied for a competition, and then you've been talking them for years, and then now it all came out to be、yeah. a full, full opportunity. And, that's awesome. And here's a situation where it's the same school that I was contemplating. I remember junior year was tough for me in undergrad. I was like,、ah, I don't want to do my recital. I don't want to do. I don't really want to do this. I don't want to do the classical、yeah. competition, and like I don't want to lose the jazz education. But how do I put it together? You know. And then it's like fast、yeah. forward. This was yeah, the reason. You、together. know.、Uh, you know. At least to start. So. Yeah. yeah.、Well, that's awesome. Awesome. To now the section about life as a musician.、Um, my first question is to someone who's interested in music but nervous to take it further. What would you say to them?、Um, yeah. Number one, trust yourself.、Um, and that music and art inside us develops over time.、Um, mm. So, you know, there are also many resources out there in the world to learn. How to do it,、um, you know. Learn how to release music, how to make music, how to compose music. You know,、yeah. uh, there are lots of resources, and、um, if it's on someone's heart to continue it, then I say you have to listen to that. And、uh, and it doesn't matter whether that's full time or part time or a pastime. It doesn't matter. You know, just、yeah. listen to that instinct. Listen to your heart and just kind of do it. Yeah. Interesting. Cool.、Um, my next question is something that I know I deal with, like quite regularly, and it used to be pretty bad at one point. But performing anxiety.、Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that, and how do you do? You ever get over it? <laughs> as soon as you mentioned the word, I, my lungs started like <laughs> expanding <Yeah. laughs> in the air.、Um, yeah. Performance anxiety、uh, as a performer, as a musician, is is、uh, is tough. Um, mm-hmm. 
Because you never know, and the thing about that is you never know when it's going to help you or not. (laughs) I think, like, I remember with Off the Score, we played, one of our last concerts we played um, uh, was an outdoor thing, and all the way up to, like, right when we started playing the downbeat, I was feeling tired. I was feeling lightheaded. I was, like, this adrenaline rush was kind of tingling in my body. I had no okay. desire to pick up the bass up there on the stage. I was looking at the bass up there and I was just like, uh-huh, I'm not uh-huh. gonna play, you know? And um, yeah. I was like, I need food, you know? And like, I ate some food, but right before jumping up on stage. And then, you know, when I, when it became time to just focus and just get it done, yeah. somehow or another, I was able to turn off that anxiety you know, mm-hmm. and just play one of our best concerts, actually. Oh, wow. And so performance anxiety is something where not only do you need to have exercises and like routines to bring it down, but you also mm-hmm. have to learn. There's like an art to learning how to turn off the anxiety. I see. That's really hard. And I deal with it all the time. Um, and uh, certain environments I'm comfortable you know uh, uh, and I'm just playing so for example when I work with my big band Marlonius Jazz Orchestra I feel like there's so many things to do there are like 16 or 17 musicians in the band I'm thinking about what everybody else is doing you know and I'm thinking about other performance elements not just my bass playing so sometimes when you go into that environment you stop really thinking about Oh, is my note in tune? You know, or is... would you di- would you say that it almost like distracts you from like worrying about yourself? But now you're kind of at ease. Yeah, that's that definitely happens to me a lot. Um, and okay. my best spontaneous performances are when I do that. Um, I, so a couple of um, practical things I kind of wrote these down: breathing exercises and uh, physical exercise. And those are okay. two really important things. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete or musician we're all performers um Mm -hmm. breathing exercises can help regulate heartbeat and um you know just kind of send more positive messages to the brain yeah um number two accept that performance anxiety is there uh it's it's a bad thing to um try to force it away or uh to beat yourself up over it because um, yeah. that that's traumatic for performers, like someone who does a competition or an audition, and you're yeah. sitting back there, like you you get, you know, someone comes out and says, "Okay, we're gonna take candidate number blah 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 blah," and your name mm-hmm. is not listed, you know, and you go home feeling yeah. like like horrible, you know. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you can't force the anxiety away. Uh, you can't. You just have to accept that that's a part of who you are, you know. Okay. Uh, and then I want number three, the last one, I'd say, uh, I like to call it breaking stigmas. Um, there's, there's the stigma that medication does not help and that therapy does not help. Um, now, there's obviously room for self-improvement and self-initiation, which hence breathing exercises and physical exercise or diet. Sometimes, you know, some people say that. The, those are things you can do, you know? Yeah. But sometimes, you know, depending on underlying conditions whatever you know you have to go and get a professional evaluation but those things could also help you know bring down the anxiety because sometimes it's not about you it's not about what you do or what you did wrong it could actually be a mind chemistry 
thing. It could be a blood issue. It could be like a genetic thing. It could be a learning disability. It could There's be so, so many millions to it. Yeah. of things. And I think uh, as an artist, I feel like I should be saying everyone in all your fields, let's break these stigmas. And by the way, mental health is a priority. Yes. So those are, that's yeah. kind of like my whole spiel about that. I tell similar things to my students and whenever someone asks me. So yeah, yeah. yeah. those are kind of things that I would say. Especially in middle school and high school, I would get so nervous. And I mean, if you look really closely, the good thing is if I was wearing like a gown, you couldn't see. But when my feet are on the pedal, it's like shaking, shaking. Yeah, like my you're... hands would be shaking. Right. Like I would be freaking out. But then later what I realized, um, I think my mom noticed that I was getting a little bit more freaked out than normal on one of my concerts. And my mom's like, do you enjoy music? And I was like, uh, of course I do. I, I love it. She's like your whole goal when you're performing is to convey that message to your audience and have your audience enjoy it too, right? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, just forget everybody's there and just get so involved in your music. Pretend nobody's there. All of your worries will go away. Just like how, I mean, when I'm practicing in my room downstairs in our like little music studio thing, I'm just jamming out. My right. head's bobbing. Sometimes my eyes are closed. You know, I'm, I may be playing a few wrong notes here and there, but it's just kind of like a vibe in itself. Yeah. And she's like, pretend that you're in your room and you know just enjoy it and feel every every note and if you enjoy the music yourself and almost you're naturally gonna your body's gonna be conveying that you know message people are gonna start noticing and then they're gonna enjoy the music too it's gonna be like a full rounded experience but if you're so focused on oh am i hitting the right notes or did i hold that note for too long or da 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 I mean, you could focus on all of that stuff, and now you're forgetting what the next note is, right? Yeah, Rather than yeah. just kind of let loose, I feel like, is would be my... What, is something that has helped me in the past. That's very important, and, and letting loose really also brings artistic fulfillment. You know, I don't yes. mean to put anyone down or to mm-hmm. point fingers at any person or anything, but it's like, as a professional musician, you're saying, what's the life, life of a musician like? It's very much like um, you're going to come across people that um, sound very well-trained. And they sound mm-hmm. really well-versed. Okay. They might be saying a whole lot without saying anything. <laughs> you know? Now, it's subjective. Art is subjective, too. So someone might pick up on something and get an idea, and then they do something with that. So that's, that's yeah. the reason why I kind of back off and say, hey, you know, it's like it's not my place to judge. But... Yeah. Um, Personally, you know, it's like sometimes you can sense when a musician, I can sense when I'm thinking. And I'm like, especially when improvising music, it's a lot easier when you're an orchestral player. If, as long as you have chops and experience yeah. and your eyes on the baton or like the leaders of the group, you can get the job done. It's like an office yeah. job. Just clock in your time, do your best, yes. go home, yeah, yeah. buy your fancy champagne that you could get because you have a yeah. big paying gig. That's that, yeah. you know. But uh, when it comes to improvising music, um, it's so vulnerable because it's like your emotions, your intellect, your ideals, you're having to compromise with other improvisers on stage with you. Ooh, All of that okay. is, is a part of the life experience. So, you know, sometimes it's like you freeze up or you start overthinking. You start thinking, oh, I'm going to plan it this way or like I'm going to follow this musician like this or yeah. that musician comes to you and they're playing all this stuff and you're like, well, 
that's beautiful. I can't do what he or she's doing, but I'm sorry, I don't know what to play with that. That's not yeah. a conversation. That usually is kind of a result of like, uh, not, there's a difference between letting loose mm-hmm. and also just letting everything that you know loose. Yes. Just letting that yeah, go yeah. because that's just what you do in a practice room. Mm-hmm. When you, oh, right, when you, right, right. Yeah, when yeah. you perform, you're performing you. You're just being yourself is mm-hmm. the ideal. That's like the goal, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. When I was a lot younger, like when I was getting started, you know, um, there was a whole lot of excitement, you know, and um, maybe I had never heard a sound before, you know, or mm-hmm. a particular composer's style before, um, you know, and so the priority would be nothing else but to focus on that learn about it like what does that do what happens when you put your fingers here like what about what does that chord do to this you know and you're thinking yeah, about yeah. those things uh more so um you know and then when you get out of school and you're thinking about making money paying the bills you know and raising a family whatnot you know and then you're thinking more economically and you have to compartmentalize sometimes which can also distract a person from what brought them to music in the first place the yeah. pure enjoyment right. of like everything feeling new um, and so my priorities have changed I think both ways where it's like my priority was like okay I need to work so I'm gonna turn down this opportunity because it's not gonna pay anything and I'm gonna do this because it pays so I can make rent especially when I was living in New York uh, yeah. for a couple of years like it's so expensive there. Even if you're doing a sublease, you're you're gonna have to do something really lucrative, you know, in order to yeah, make it, yeah. you know. So, but that so that became like the main, like the first priority, you know. Um, that that I think noticeably changed, you know. I see. Okay. The more subtle one is like this longer development from school to net where I am now, which is like. Okay. What is it that I've been trying to put out? What is it that I've been trying to play or compose, you know, mm-hmm. that I haven't really done? Um, and how can I look at, how can I look back at the things that really got me interested and take all the stuff that I learned through yeah. schooling and training and experience to be able to do that and make that lucrative and make that my career you know and and that in itself is a change of priority and I kind of see it in different layers it's kind of like maybe maybe a different it's like a different way of asking the question it's like how did that priority actually what are the new angles you know Uh, yeah yeah and uh as we speak it's just hard you know it's like juggling a lot of things uh, yeah sometimes I can imagine. sometimes you say no to things you know because it's like look i know what this is gonna okay like this thing is gonna teach me something right this thing is just clocking in but it's but it's yeah. staying in shape you know kind of thing okay. uh and then this thing over here could be like well this is with my friends you know and it might not pay mm-hmm. at all but it's yeah and it actually might keep me in good spirits i'll never forget i played a recital for someone uh, recently, a good friend of mine, and we haven't really played since COVID started, and and um, uh, oh well, there's two incidences. The first one was like we weren't really playing for money, you know, and 
Uh, I came down and I played and it was like therapy. It was just like, wow, this is like, everything just feels so new. And like holding the instrument again in a live setting and like, wow, that was wonderful. And then the other thing was, it was a paid opportunity, but it was with a friend. And uh, yeah, it's like, wow, like I actually learned some things about this music that I've heard many times before, but I came at it with fresh ears, you know? and. And because it was spontaneous and we were all getting together after COVID, it was like, wow, like the energy is just so big. I, I feel like I live for those moments on stage when that happens. Rehearsals are rehearsals, but when you go to the gig and it's there, that's kind of like what I aim for, you know? And um, sometimes you have to pay your way to do it. Sometimes you have to only choose the gigs that want you to do it and will pay you to go and do it for them. Sometimes yeah, you have to make yeah. up your own way to do that. And that's the lifestyle I that I okay. live, yeah. Interesting. So. And speaking about speaking of live music, I'm so excited for this whole new era and genre of music that's going to be coming out now this summer and moving forward too. Because I feel like all of the artists have been like pent up in their houses and stuff this past year and they've been brewing something amazing. So I'm so excited for like yeah. everything that's going to be coming out. Yeah, I'm excited. There's some really interesting projects that I've heard recently that have kind of just blown my mind, you know? And um, I've been kind of sculpting, kind of like, yeah. a, like a Michelangelo. You're just constantly <laughs> chipping away at something and it's like yeah, through yeah. COVID, you know, it's starting to look good, you know? And it's like, and, yeah. oh, all of a sudden everything's open. Okay, let's try to complete it you more, you know? I feel like I'm never, um, I'm never satisfied, you know? Sure. Um, but. Uh, sometimes, yeah, there are those moments where <laughs> you feel accomplished, like it's done. It's just like, wow, yeah. okay, we're done. That was fantastic, you know. transition into the last segment of this podcast i know i'm like been asking you so many questions but um the last segment of this podcast which is talking about composing your projects and bands as well so my first question here when we touched on this just recently but like covid how has that been and how has the last year been for you and musicians and artists in you know the industry yeah ultimately Oh, I don't know. I mean, everything shut down. Our most yeah. most of our work, in my case, um, all of my work, with the exception of private students, fell out of the you know just 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 gone, obliterated. You yeah. know, and yeah. uh, I had to move from New York, uh, move back home. We ended up living in ten different places last year of 2020 alone. No way! Wow. Uh, including, we had to we had to go to a different a sublease in New York. Uh-huh. And then COVID hit, so we had just moved, and then we had to move everything out, yeah. you know. Yeah. And there was no gig to yeah. cover that, you know. And, um, right. Um, a lot of it was very difficult uh, uh, personally, like personal times, personal growth, mm-hmm. uh, and also just not being able to work. You know, a lot of us had to file for unemployment or partial unemployment. You know, get like aid from the government. You know, or yeah. like. Some people were successful enough to jump right when like Amazon or some company is looking for a new employee and it's just a matter of who's first in line to get the next thing that pays the bills, you know, and oop, yes. you're too late, yeah. you know, we don't know who yeah. you are. It was a very much a lonely time 
and uh, for art. And also it was not um, great in terms of um, inspiration, motivation, you know? And so um, for me personally, I can only really speak for myself, um, you know, but it's like my bands, we, we never got to, we didn't meet for months, you know, um, to even play music. A lot of musicians switched to um, virtual performances pre-recorded yeah. I did a few uh as well um mm-hmm. because it paid um but yeah. it's not artistically fulfilling uh in my opinion right. I don't it depends on what you want in music and I I only yeah. only really want personal connection where nuances happen together you know uh not mm-hmm. something pre-recorded so um yeah that wasn't an avenue for me and I just didn't have the inspiration uh, because I was actually more interested in cultivating my research around Billy Strayhorn, you know, and trying to find, find out, I think the most important thing that COVID did for me musically was it helped me to reconcile the insecurities that I had in the competitive world of the entertainment business. Yeah. Um, to also reevaluate what was I doing before? Why did I like doing that before? What things do I want to continue? What things do I need to sever off? You know? Okay. I re- basically kind of rehashed, like, my whole thing. Um, yeah. My bass yeah. playing, can, I changed. You know, I said, look, um, I used to play like other people would want me to play. Now I'm only going to do my thing. Uh, yeah. You know, or it's like... So your whole mentality kind of, like, took a little little turn there. Yeah, it's like, okay, it was, just, it was time to reset and be like, okay, hold on a second. Like... <clears throat> This is what I've been trying to get in my life, so mm-hmm. I need to work more towards those things, you know? And yeah. there was plenty of time to take a break. Mental health is important, you know? Family is yes. important, like all of these things. So it was also a time for me and many others to rest as well and to like just take it easy for a moment before approaching things again, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I agree. For me personally, like when I. Uh, I'm just speaking about composing, but like specifically, um, most of my compositions come from either a specific experience or a collection of like emotions that I'm feeling. And then if I'm not like good with words, I'll just try to get that out on the piano. Um, but because of COVID, I mean, yeah, there were emotions happening and kind of confusion and loss and uncertainty. But because I wasn't having many experiences on the day to day life, um, that kind of like hindered that part of composing like right Right. I wasn't able to like I'd sit down and I wanted to write something different and something kind of vibey but I kept on turning back to what I was comfortable with and um that's like old stuff and I wasn't liking it and so I kind of like took a break from I guess like playing around music on the piano and I kind of was just playing old stuff and then now like things are opening up and I'm my mind's a bit more open now and I feel like it's sort of an outlet to my creative side of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, I, but yeah. You're speaking my mind because that's exactly uh, what happened to me during COVID. Mm-hmm. My compositional process, I don't even know because it's it was one way, but then COVID happened and now we're in a new era. So it's just kind of like, okay, yeah. I don't know what it, my compositional thing is. I think sometimes, yeah, sometimes in general, the inspiration and the, the thing you're, you've you been meaning to write down is right there. Sometimes it just falls in your lap. Oh, that's exactly where I want to go. Yeah. And then the other times, yeah, you need inspiration. 
need to go walk outside. You need to take a break. You need to like play some gigs first. You know, you need to like uh-huh, uh-huh. listen to other people's music or or um, or fix something else in your life. And all of a sudden, yeah. the idea starts coming back again. Right. Um, it's sort of like you have to like shift that roadblock out, do something else, and then all of a sudden you're like hit with the streamline of ideas. Yeah. But until you do that other thing, it's kind of like frustrating honestly yeah and what kind of holds it together is that i have sketchbooks so a uh, little oh, fragments okay. i write lots of fragments so i'm trying to get to a point where you know like it could just come out like a little more fluid you know yeah. and uh but it really depends you know like one of my favorite compositions um i wrote in in college that i put out on my cd it's called Faye. Mm-hmm. that came really naturally to me Cause I was working on these chords. I liked the chords. I had no melody. I loved yeah. the sound and the compositional element of what it was I was doing. The, the basic structure. Okay. But then I discovered, oh, like doing one voicing, one chord, one one voicing of the chords, and it's a lot of like it's the same sound, just shifting intervallically, you know, going different places. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's the melody. It's the top voice. The top voice. Yeah. Oh, is an is an uh, right. uh, extended chord tone. I'm speaking theoretically yeah. now, but it's like a chord tone, and that has a beautiful like it rests well with the underlying chords. And then I decide, oh, then I can fill it in with embellishment. And yes. Then it took its own thing when I gave it to my first band, and uh-huh. the, the they played it slightly different, you know, and added, okay. added a few things, and I was like, wow, that, that actually sounds so different from yeah. what I thought it would be. Now I'm trying to arrange that same thing. I wrote that in like 2012 or something. And now I'm trying oh, to okay. arrange it for my next big band concert coming up. So it's like, it's going to be like very different, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that, I have sketchbooks, I have fragments. I've been kind of working on that since COVID and never really finishing it. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. like, I'm like, let me go back to it. And sometimes Fresh Years does everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. Well, when it comes to playing your applied instrument, because uh-huh. composition is one thing, you know, but then um, to be a bass player and to soak it in is really different, you know, and like um, sometimes you have to really set goals i time myself when i practice now you know like it's oh, not okay. i used to time myself by the hour and be like oh i gotta do five hours today you know mm-hmm. but now it's kind of like is the inspiration there enough so that i can do it in 20 minutes if it is i'll do it if it's not there i'm not doing it <laughs> oh and, cool. uh, okay yeah when you, okay. you get to a certain point in your life where it's like I know how to play the bass. I know what yeah. things, I know when it sounds out of tune and I know what I need to do to fix it. Uh, and I know how to do it, you know? So, you know, it's kind of like more or less nowadays, it's more about staying in shape, you know? Mm-hmm. And like checking in on those techniques while yeah. trying to experience. I'm doing a lot of improvisation, so I'm like, I'm having to, and that's not just, you just make it up, you know, like, no, it's like, I'm, I'm studying certain chords, certain, certain shapes, arpeggiations, and the way that those notes fit with any given song that I'm playing. Yeah. And I'm trying to learn how to understand it 
and remember and retain that theoretical knowledge and to be able to execute it like okay i need this finger yeah. here and i need to do this in order to get that sound that's okay. that's basically how i practice bass um nowadays it's like i don't i have more my interest is more in the next level i used to play what we call lines and lines in jazz or popular music is basically like these are phrases that are kind of picked up over the years it's like okay. an oral tradition you can also transcribe it of course and other people have played these lines they become part of the vocabulary or like the language of our genre jazz so okay i used to play lines all the time i was i'm pretty good at that i think you know uh -huh. i'm like no that's not me now me it's like i'm thinking more in terms of creating chords on the spot, creating composition on the spot. How do I take some melodic themes harmonically, superimpose those over the song that I'm learning or like the blues or whatever it is I'm practicing. And that's kind of more or less what my new practice goal is, is to learn that side of my body because I can write that stuff out as a composer, uh -huh. but I can't always play that the yeah. way I write it. So okay, okay. that's my practice for bass playing. Yeah. Unless someone I says, see. oh, here's a gig in a week. Like, you got to learn this music. Of course, I know yeah. how to do that because that's what I yeah, studied yeah. for. Yeah. So that's easy, you know. Very cool. This is so cool. All right. What has been your craziest experience yet to this day? Um, whether it be creating, performing, collaborating, rehearsals, anything. Um, yeah, that was kind of hard to think, think about because there was a lot of... Um, I think just so many things just, you know, playing with the musicians that I have played with, uh, a lot of crazy things happen, so <laughs> it's, uh, just off the top of my head uh, as we go along here. But like, yeah, I remember like I played one concert with John Coltrane's son, Robbie Coltrane. Wow, this is, John Coltrane to us is like Jimi Hendrix to the rock world, you know, but John Coltrane was a saxophonist, you know, and sure. like he changed improvisational music immensely like and um during the civil rights era and then his son you know is just fantastic in his own right and I, there was this one thing in 2019 in october i was playing my friend's cd release concert okay and he went and brought robbie coltrane to play uh like half the show and okay. it was like wow i'm playing with robbie coltrane you know like yeah. in the coltrane family like what the heck is that you know yeah. and can kind of go places you know like i'm playing you know and yeah. there's some chemistry going on you know that was yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah. like never have and then i'd say like any gig i've ever played with Stuart copeland is mm -hmm. crazy because you know he's just rocking out going like off. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and like yeah. the sound of his drums is his signature voice is so like iconic and it's so memorable but it's just like whoa this it's just like kind of whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute like i'm actually doing this yeah i'm the one doing this it should be you it should be like this other person in the audience you should be up here playing <laughs> not me you know like yeah, i've had yeah, those yeah. type of experiences um uh, i think um <laughs> let's see uh there is I don't know. There's some random thing. It's just hard for me to remember. There, there are definitely crazy, yeah, yeah. definitely crazy moments. Um, um, honestly, though, like, you know, celebrities or, oh, well, here's a crazy thing. It, I wasn't involved, except I was standing on the street. And this okay. is in L.A., actually. Um, I'm giving L.A. a lot of um, 
my uh, props because um, <laughs> I live here now. But also, yeah. a lot of LA people don't necessarily realize what's out there in the art community, you know. It's like, yeah. hey, well, this is the city for that. So anyway, I, I was watching a concert. It was one of the most hair-raising concerts I've seen in a while. It was mm -hmm. uh, Chick Corea's group. Chick Corea passed away recently of cancer. But um, oh. he was another iconic Grammy Award, multi-award winning uh, piano player, composer. Um, and it was his band. And on the same bill was Bela Fleck's band. And he's like a virtuoso mandolin player. And, Ooh, and okay. They were doing this whole thing and it was just like, whoa, this is just way too good. And then I yeah. go outside after the concert and I'm standing there with my friend. He says, Marlon, uh -huh. it's like, look over there. Like, do you see what's happening? I turn around. I see this big limo pull up. Okay. Window rolls down and Stevie Wonder. And, you know, and he can't see, but he knows that Chick Corea is actually not like not too far from where I'm standing. He just comes walking over and I'm like, we're all on the street here. <laughs> and there's people, oh my God. And, you know, people walking by who don't recognize anyone, you know. And then yeah. chick standing there on the corner, and there's Stevie Wonder, just jive talking, just cracking jokes at him, and just having they're just having shooting the breeze, Con you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Rolls up the window, uh -huh. boom. The car just goes boom. Just, That's such an insane experience. Yeah, okay, this cool. is in like Koreatown, you know, off of Wilshire okay. and Western. You know, I'm just like, there's a Ralph's. I and I had just and then I called Chick over said hey excuse me Chick uh, uh -huh. do you, I you remember me we spoke some years ago you know backstage yeah. oh yeah I'm Stanley's kid oh yeah because Chick and Stanley were like uh, they they grew up together essentially you know okay Chick's like oh how's it going it's like good you know can I take a picture with you he's like oh, yeah, sure man you know so we're standing there <laughs> when the picture was taken the uh -huh. Ralph sign. It's like so big and it's just blazing. Ralph's. It looked like he, Chick Korea and I were shopping at Ralph's. Like, That's so funny. The heck, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> and that oh was like God. right after the Stevie what Wonder incident. What a wild incident. experience. Yeah. That's so cool. Stuff like that is kind of funny. Uh, honestly, oh the, the most crazy thing I think that's ever happened to me was not musical and it was last. Uh, uh, two Thursdays ago when I got in a car accident so that's, oh, yeah. oh that, that basically changed everything for me like no that is actually the craziest thing that's ever happened to me and it's a miracle that I'm in uh -huh. one piece so yeah, yeah so that's the crazy thing oh, but you know yeah. yeah yeah but I'm glad everyone is okay I only got yeah. to know because I saw it on your store on your story and I was like my goodness yeah no my car is totaled uh, yeah I oh, I pulled over to drop my wife off at a graduation ceremony and um, uh -huh. I couldn't park it was a park the parking space but uh, the person in front of me parked um, there were so many cars on graduation yeah. day that it was like I couldn't just park there so I had to just pull over and turn on my hazards and drop her off and then like pull out and go oh, get a parking man. space okay. and this person uh, was oh, gosh, speeding yeah speeding and uh, wasn't looking veering into my car rammed me into two cars uh, that were parked you know and, and the, the poor uh, the person who did the damage her, her car was flying in the air it was it was like i was watching oh, like uh it was like watching a tom cruise movie where he's or like a racing movie you know yeah. cars are flying oh everywhere. i was just like my car is gone but uh yeah i um i didn't have any fractures but i i left with um lots of muscle pain and whiplash you know um, yeah, I can and oh uh, yeah you know so obviously that changes your yeah inspiration but i'm glad um, everyone is 
He's okay. Yeah. So, you know, if anybody out there knows a good deal on an SUV, <laughs> email me privately about it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. I'm looking okay. for a new car. So. <laughs> Got it. Okay, so my next question is, we've spoken about a big band, but what exactly is that to those who don't know? Yeah. And what are you guys doing? Yeah, a big band is not a big band. Like, it, a big band is actually a term. It, it's a mm-hmm. it's a ensemble type. It's a type of group. A big band is an American-based um, jazz orchestra. Uh of any size, but big bands t- typically are, uh, you know, 15 to 18 or 19 musicians playing together. Okay. Um, it's a chamber orchestra. For classical musicians, imagine a chamber orchestra, except, or, or a string quartet, but uh-huh. you're playing with jazz musicians. Yeah. Reading orchestrations, so, so composed parts and improvising. Uh, big bands are, I think, most important for um, a couple of things. Um, big bands were like the genre of music that basically prompted the swing era and the swing era was America's first pop music. Uh, Before rock and roll, there was swing music, you know, and I'm only speaking history because big bands were still playing, you know, but big bands were like kind of like the main driving force of the swing era. And that was when the record industry had its first, like, it was an actual industry. You know, you make records, you record, and then you release it across the world. That was the first thing, you know, and America produced, the U.S. produced these big bands, and they were playing swing music, so it was dance music, and it was improv. It was taking, like, what Louis Armstrong did, uh, mixed with what Ellington did, and, like, a couple others, and basically kind of synthesized the style of music that was, like, it was written out, so it can be memorized, you know, and organized, but then there's also improv. So big bands um, were the thing that uh, motivated uh, American soldiers during World War II. Uh, a lot of big oh, okay. bands, yeah, a lot of big bands and their singers, like Frank Sinatra, uh-huh. those types, you know, would um, go out overseas and perform yeah. for the American troops. So it has kind oh, of a, wow. yeah, it has a very like American, like, oh, you know, US, you yeah, know. Yeah. And then afterwards, big bands, evolved from like just an entertainment kind of dance thing that you hear on the radio or jukeboxes at like Ruby's Diner, you know, Uh to a more like intellectual experimentation, you know? So when jazz changed after World War II and it went to bebop, post-bop and free jazz and all these other kind of sub categories, big band music also evolved too. And, uh, you know, so most people today will find a big band in a university or college uh, group. Oh, got it. It's okay. like something that you do if you're a jazz student, you know, and you have to, like, do your curriculum. And it's also yeah. a good place to meet friends and to meet musicians. Wow, this guy plays great. She plays fantastic, yeah, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of people playing right. together. And you have to sound yeah, great together. Too, yeah, you yeah. have to sound like an orchestra, you know, as at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I lead a big band um, called the Marlonius Jazz Orchestra. We're an LA-based group. We're all millennial artists. Um, One of the things about big band today and its portrayal is in the media, it's either like old, old men in suits and ties, you know, or tuxedos playing someone's wedding, you know, or something, okay. or playing like a swing hall for dancers who are like excellent dancers, you know, you'll, you'll yeah. see that a lot or big bands 
can be like, um, you know, like Michael Bublé will have a big band. Frank, uh, not Frank Sinatra, um, uh, Harry Connick Jr. will have a big band. Other times you'll hear big bands in movies like The Incredibles. That's a big okay. band score. That's a score for a big band, you know, and um, uh, that's kind of where big band is, you know, and if you go to New York, there's uh, jazz at Lincoln Center. So Lincoln Center has the New York Philharmonic, the New York Ballet, the Metropolitan uh -huh. Opera, and then down the street, there's uh, like, you know, three or four jazz venues that are like the size of classical concert halls. And they basically wow. play historic music. They kind of rehash what Duke Ellington wrote and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I do with Marlonius Jazz Orchestra is I, yeah, I synthesize all of that because I love the past. I mean, I'm playing an mm -hmm. old style of music, you know, that most people don't even know still exists. Um, it's just a matter of where do you hear it, you know? And yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I write my own music. I compose, uh, I modernize big band, but I also keep big band swinging, as we say. I keep it groovy, you know? I keep it like people can sit there at a club and will feel like they just got to get up and just scream, you know, I've seen yeah. that's actually happened, uh, which is fantastic really? when you can, okay. you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. um, I hire musicians who are some of the best of the best millennial artists uh, in the country. I have people who've worked with like, um, um, shoot, um, I'm a bit of name dropping for you, but you know, people like Megan Trainer or Kanye West or, what? um, you know, um, Quincy Jones film sessions, Glee, American Idol, The Voice, like all these different. This is so cool. Yeah, a lot of the musicians you hear on TV that you don't uh -huh. see, or they you, they yeah. might be like in the background. Background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, or they're like sidelining, sidelining in a movie, you know, incidental things. But you're hearing their soundtrack, uh, like when uh, when Biden, President Biden, uh, had his like the presidential celebration. Yeah. There was one particular brass ensemble thing in the background for something. It was like okay. a nighttime thing. My okay, bass okay. and my bass trombone player uh, recorded that session in LA, you know? So so it's like, uh, it's kind of like a club. We're like a club of working, working musicians. And, uh -huh. and we play, I do classical music, obviously. These guys do, yeah. you know, rap, hip hop, pop music, whatever you name it, electronic mm -hmm. music. But then we all get together and play big band jazz you know the way that these wow. guys learned in school the way that i have learned as a self-taught you know kind of jazz player and, and it's good you know and we'll also be uh rehashing some of billy strayhorn's music in that process cool, too cool cool yeah oh awesome awesome okay yeah um a leading question to this is how do you get you spoke about like um playing music that you know maybe don't people don't really listen to anymore or even um before that even genres that people don't really haven't even heard about before yeah. how is it how do you get people to even like listen or how do you even gain traction or grow an audience some people do it um more more outwardly and deliberately than i do personally so you're mm -hmm. speaking you're speaking to someone that um won't people please as much yeah um this is a fantastic question. I feel like I'm going to be asked this any minute by like my school or something, you know, um, some people make it, uh, well, okay, here, here are just different ways, you know, and they're all good. Like not, not one is a bad way or, you know, it just depends yeah. on the individual, what that person's willing to take on. So, um, okay. some people in, I'm speaking for jazz music, particularly some people, 
they, uh, you know, they get really connected with, you know, a legend in jazz or a mentor in jazz or something. And, you know, and, and, uh, and if they like, if that person likes that young musician, that musician Mm -hmm. gets exposure on tour or recording an album or something with that person. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay. And therefore through people, yeah, therefore you can get like, you know, um, record deals that sounds kind of like it's kind of archaic language but it still exists you know you uh, yeah. someone a representative can say hey i like you we saw you with so and so we'd like to give you a record contract boom with bookings is fantastic that's that's kind of like a great I, I would love to have that you know that's yeah. one way another way is through uh social media so someone could say like i look a certain way i put on this vibe um i teach this or like i do Oh, well, you know, podcasts or like I do yeah. uh, tutorials and uh-huh. or, and I have a Patreon, you know, or something, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and then they like really channel everything into that, you know, and there are other people that go into it like, I'm going to do this through the pop world. So a lot of my friends, uh, I love the way that you're doing this because it's like they'll play with like, you know, Miley Cyrus or like seal or what's that person's name it's random just random like big big names someone like yeah. to work with beyonce for example or yeah. a good example there's uh what's her name i forget her name she plays saxophone she teaches at berkeley college of music she was beyonce's like primary saxophone player and like she would okay. book horn players she's a fantastic jazz player and they put i think yeah. i think i'm pretty sure they put her in that movie soul the Disney Pixar okay. film, you know, oh, that's an out, okay. that's a way of outreach because it's like, yeah. here's someone who has the pop world going on yeah, right here at their fingertips. They're a recording musician, they do movies and everything, but then they get to kind of every once in a while they can play their thing, you know, that like, yeah. Oh, this is like, this yeah. is tradition, you know? So that's one way to do it. Um, others, um, kind of have to hash it in three different things. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. Um, I like being able to have a residency, you know, and to be able to have a particular hub where I continually produce. And I think as long as as long as I'm out there and as long as I'm doing things and it's like a word of mouth thing and um, and I have uh, well, I'm, I'm gearing up to record an album with the big band next year. So it's like as long as I have a okay. product, you yeah. know, yeah, you can hand that out to people. And you basically really just got to go knock on doors, knock on venues, email. Uh, Another avenue that I did not mention, which is a big one nowadays, is grants. And that's like kind of like the, that's like the thing. (laughs) So it's very competitive. But that's a secret. That's kind of like a, it's not even really a secret anymore, but it still is to some. Uh, It's not just about the way you present yourself or what your music sounds like. A lot of it comes down to like, is this marketable? If it's not, so like if it's video game music, oh, that's gonna be popular, you know? And it's yeah, big band yeah. jazz, but it's like, there's a group that does that. That makes a lot of sense, you know? But then there's okay, other okay. ways where it's like, I'm gonna need a grant to be yeah. able to pay for everyone, to right. get traction, to buy followers, you know? To buy, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. that's another avenue, you know? So huh. it's very complicated okay. nowadays. It's different from uh, like yeah. my parents' time or before them, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess it's just like putting yourself out there and seeing what sticks, but honestly, just having like full confidence and just shoot your shot and see what sticks, honestly. I think that's the only way is to do that. Uh, A great mentor of mine, John Clayton, said um, there's no blueprint. To running a big band, Mm -hmm. for my case, he's like, there's no blueprint. Like, 
the swing era is gone. That's dead. That's a dead time period. You know, <laughs> the music stayed. It changed.、Uh-huh. It went into the、yeah. Hollywood film thing. So if you watch an Audrey Hepburn movie, if you see a, you know, whatever, you're gonna hear some big band every once in a while. You know, 007. There's a big band right in your face. You know, but yeah, how do you really make it as a solo artist? I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> I'm in a career where someone can sit down and be like, "I'm an accountant. You're a musician. How do you make it?" I don't know. <laughs> I work hard. I meet people. I try to fulfill a dream that I see or a vision of how I want it to be, and you make it work. However, it takes how many years it takes. That's that's my、uh, career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're wrapping up the episode really soon, but、um, really quickly, where are you performing next, and where can we find you? Yeah,、uh, I'm performing July 29. That's a Thursday night, 8 p.m.、Mm-hmm. Pacific time, at Feinstein's at Vitello's. It's a supper club.、Uh, supper club is you know a place where entertainment happens, where you can eat and drink. And、um, okay. this place is in Studio City in Hollywood. And、um, I've played there a few times、um, with small groups, and then my big band played there a few times.、Um, the thing that's different this time is、uh, through COVID and all that, they've、uh, they've made it、uh, available for all ages, so families can、yeah. come. And、um, fantastic dinner, great drinks,、um, beautiful venue. It's intimate. It's small. And、um, it's a great venue for big bands because then you get a chance、yeah. to really kind of soak in the sound of the brass instruments and then like my bass and the drums and so everything's just so like at your fingertips.、Um, yeah. So I love that venue, and it's great. And tickets are available,、um, Gory. I think you're gonna have a link for that, right? Yep, I'm gonna have all of the links and information in the description box below, so、Good. it'll be easy for you guys to access it and、yeah. go straight to it. Yeah, the cool thing about that concert is、uh, my mom. We'll be singing with my band. Her name is Josie James. Uh, and, okay. Uh, yeah, she's gonna be our special guest, and、um, that's the first date. We really need、uh, some attendance. So there's also、yeah. gonna be a live stream for that event that is also ticketed.、Mm-hmm. They haven't sent me the link yet,、um, but、okay. if you if you go to my website,、um, hopefully in the next week or so. Yeah. Um, if you're not living in California or if you're too far away from Los Angeles.、Um, Check my website occasionally because I'm going to have an announcement under the、yeah. tour section of my website. Okay.、Uh, and then, and then I can also update the description box too once that link comes in. Or I'll just have every all the information down below. Yeah, that's the first thing、uh, for performance、uh, next、uh-huh. week. I am actually producing、uh, my first lecture videos around Billy Strayhorn's life and music at the Colburn、okay. School. That's not going to be released, I think, until the fall. And so that's okay, a web, that's a website check thing. Just kind of yeah, know, yeah. See if I see if it's out yet. <laughs> okay.、Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a mailing list too, so you know people could find out、Subscribe、there as well.、It. Yeah. Definitely. Awesome. Sounds good. I'm fingers crossed.、Um, hopefully, I can come to the July 29th、um, event. It's. I shot a text to、um, our old orchestra group chat. Sparked、oh, yeah. it up because no one's spoken in it in so long. And everyone's like,、oh, I gotta go, and we're maybe trying to do a day trip to LA and then, yeah, do it.、Um, come in the night and do the concert because it's been so long. And I'm like I said before, I'm so stoked for the whole live music thing. I mean, before I, I, I honestly didn't appreciate it enough when I was in orchestra, and、mm. 
to that going to concerts and seeing different people perform or even rehearsals themselves were so interesting so right yeah i mean it's affected all of us like that you know it's like it makes me say i want to hear a live group now you know it's like i it's hard to listen to albums (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's some great albums out there i'm ready for some new stuff though Yeah. yeah yeah definitely yeah. So I'll have all of this information down below. I'll also have your website there Beautiful. and your Instagram handle. So yeah, please reach out to Yeah, you. please subscribe. Follow me on Instagram. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, looking for some followers to see what I'm yeah. up to. Yeah. Definitely. Sounds good. Thank you so much for being on. I've had such an amazing conversation with you today, and it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Great. Thanks so much. Your podcast is awesome. I love it. Um, Thank you. Thanks so much for... <laughs> asking fantastic questions and um (laughs) and uh look i look forward to uh you know doing more or whatever i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah definitely yeah all right i'll see you guys later okay Bye. bye